Just a little housekeeping before we start this episode. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions, comments, um, any ideas you have for future topics, and we want you to reach out to us. You can do that at our Facebook page, message us, Restored Gospel Podcast, or you can use email, Restored Gospel Podcast at Gmail. We do have links to both of those places in our show notes. Whether you're listening on a computer or on your phone, uh, you can click on those and it'll take you there. There are also apps out there. If you use Apple iTunes, we ask that if you have time, give us a rating. We prefer five stars, of course. That uh, helps us in the search engine for other people to find us. And if you don't or you're new to the podcast world, I prefer the Stitcher app. It works on Android and Apple phones as well. It's very easy to use. Uh, You can download. It lets you know when new episodes come out. You can download them to your phone, listen offline when you don't have internet. I use that a lot, download some things at home, and then when I'm out driving around, I can just uh, listen to them in my car. So we are enjoying this format, and we hope it continues to be a blessing to those of you who are listening. Thank you. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. Restore Gospel Podcast. Last time we were together, we talked about the fall of man, the prophecy that if man disobeyed God, there would be bad things happening. The mercy and justice of God, uh, one on one hand, one on the other, eternal life or eternal separation. I think one of the key points of last message that became clearer to me was that we don't just have a God that's told, you know, told Adam, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. Adam ate of the fruit and God says, my word's my word. My word is my bond. Too bad. Now you die. That wasn't um, that wasn't God's intent, but rather God knew that when when Adam sinned, when he transgressed the Lord, uh, something would happen in his heart. And that he would never be comfortable being in God's presence because God was holy. Right. And um, and we we brought out the fact that that was portrayed uh, just for the mere fact as soon as God came around again, Adam and Eve hid themselves. They realized they were naked. So this had never occurred to them before. So look at the effect of sin from being completely uh, oblivious to the fact that you're naked to sin. You know, you eat this fruit of knowledge and all of a sudden, hey, I'm naked. And, you know, this... Their whole uh, countenance, their whole outlook changed. Right. We, because of this world, uh, we can distance ourselves from our sins. We talked about when I do something bad. If I, if I, you know, if I offend you, Corey, and I walk away, you know, if I don't um, fix that over time, that's going to become dull to me. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet the scriptures say that uh, if we carry those sins, if we carry those things with us into the kingdom, um, we're going to have a perfect knowledge of mm-hmm. everything we've done wrong. If, mm-hmm. we, if, um, if we haven't uh, been transformed, if we haven't been saved by the blood of Jesus. And, and yet what was the promise for those that had? That had the perfect knowledge of all good. And in fact, 
no memory it sounds like of even this world or the or the trials or the pain we've endured perfect knowledge of righteousness and clean, cleanliness um and so that's where we want to be we wanted to talk today a little bit about the plan of redemption and there's a lot there but i this is hard for me. I, I don't think we've talked about the blood of Christ as much as we should, maybe, at least in my background, religious yeah. background. Yeah. That could just be the branch I grew up in. or um, Certainly, there was many wonderful people, and I'm I, I just so thankful for my upbringing and for the gospel. But um, we focused on a lot of things, maybe, through the years that um, at the expense of really missing out on this this serious relationship with the Son of God. Right. Yeah, sometimes the emphasis that, well, you found the church and now you're in, and it's like, well, there's this Jesus guy, and we he kind of floats around the church some, but, you know, but main thing is you found the church. And so my, my story is similar, too. It's like, wow, this whole story isn't just with Jesus in it. It's because of him and only about him in the end. So Adam and Eve were in a pickle, and we're in a pickle. Um, we, didn't, we may not realize it. We're looking back in time. We have all of the scriptures to rely on. Uh, we have all of the stories throughout history. We know things God has said, things God has done. Um, we have testimonies. But Adam and Eve really found themselves... I mean, I, I can't imagine walking with God, not having any sin upon your heart. And all of a sudden, you know, you're naked and you want to hide. And this beautiful uh, garden state, you're out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. What in the world went through their minds? Yeah. And what was the first thing? So Adam was told to sacrifice an animal. And when the angel came to him and asked him what he was doing, he said, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the Lord told me to do this, and I'm doing it. And I saw what happened last time when I didn't obey. But um, what was that all about, Corey? Yeah, that's a beautiful scripture and the inspired version of the Book of Mormon. And it honestly, it's a scripture that has to be there when you realize that God's plan from the beginning was to reveal that unless there was an infinite and eternal sacrifice for man, there was no coming back. It's not like Jesus coming to the world was like plan B. It's like, oh, let's try these animals and birds and you know, lambs, even if they're unblemished on altars for 1,500 years. Let's see if that brings about a, a, an atonement for mankind. No, those were just symbols to teach us about the one infinite atonement that would be coming. And so... From the beginning, God set up ways to show and teach all humanity about who he was and what the plan was. Um, and so we, we see this repeated over and over, this idea, and it's repeated through Scripture, wasn't just with Adam and Eve, but you see with Abraham when he's commanded to offer up his miracle child, Isaac, you know, the, the old man beyond childbearing years and his wife as well. When, when Isaac is commanded to be offered up as a sacrifice, and yet we know the story doesn't fulfill that, it was in similitude or to teach of Jesus. 
So, and I, uh, and it's shown to one man. And, and then later, as the Israelites are slaves to Pharaoh, and a lamb, is, and the blood of the lamb is, is applied to the doorposts, all of a sudden we find that death passes over for this, for this people, for this nation. So we, we have all of a sudden, you know, this sacrifice for the, for the at least it was for each home of the, of the Hebrews. And then later, you know, it, it grows and we see these sacrifices offered for the, for the nation as, as Solomon offers thousands of animals and, and the nation of Israel comes together and they dedicate this temple unto the Lord and the Lord comes down with fire and consumes all these uh, altars of sacrifice. We see that the nation now recognizing the symbol of Jesus and finally Jesus on the cross, he, his death is for all humanity. And, and time and time again, the symbol of Jesus and the death and what it represents for us to be able to come back in the presence was was shown by God, taught to man from the beginning so that we could not misunderstand. What do you think? Can you imagine um, being in a village, Corey? Can you imagine living here in, in your little cul-de-sac and you know that tonight you and your neighbors have to take blood and smear mm. it across your front door or you won't wake up in the morning. Right, right. Well, it would have been my older brother because he was yeah, the first yeah. brother. No, thankfully for him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but not so bad then. Um, so your older brother would have. Yeah. What is it like to live in a society that is so oh, supernatural or just has a different relationship? And so then you think about that society and this group of people that I'm sh- surely they they must have saw that people died. Yeah, yeah. They they saw the plagues. They saw all of these things, and then they saw the waters part, and they were miraculously led out of Egypt. And they still, they you know, they missed the the foreshadowing, or they missed the they missed the point of pointing to Jesus. And yet here we are in in 2020 almost looking back in history with all of the recorded history we're not jewish in culture we're not hebrew in culture do we miss the point that um that we could wake up in the morning and die because there was no blood on the post that there was no blood of jesus covering us when we die and go to be with him do we miss that point are we just as as dull in our yeah. Senses. Yeah. You know, you wonder when the scripture teaches that there will be those on his left hand who say, hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? And that sounds like a pretty big thing to do. But then Jesus's response is, you never knew me. And uh, this this should be in the forefront of our thinking. You know, it's interesting taking the story back to Israel, as you just mentioned, you know, this whole idea of a lamb and the blood Pharaoh and Moses worked out a lot of schemes. Moses, you know, there was the water turning into blood. There were bugs. There were frogs. There were all kinds of other things. None of them brought release. None of them brought the ability for the Hebrews to leave their bondage, except when the blood of the lamb was applied to the door. There's a lot of symbols in that. and, and, And for one, it shows that no other work or no other act could have brought our redemption from our spiritual slavery. Nothing we could do, no other sacrifice, uh, no great work. 
but it was the symbol of the unblemished lamb and his death and its blood applied to the doorposts of our life that begins that journey to freedom. You know, the, the Israelites weren't free as soon as that happened. And here's one of the, the sort of the fallacies, uh, if you will, of believing that, hey, all I have to do is believe that Jesus died and that's it. Well, that's where the Israelites were at. They, they applied the door, the blood to the door, and that was the first step. But then the next thing they had to do was depart Egypt. There, there's a parallel there of, of faith, right? They had faith in this blood of the Lamb. Well, the next thing we believe in, in our response to Jesus is we have to repent or we have to turn or, or change. That's what the Israelites did when they left. They didn't have time to even let their bread rise. They took off so quickly. And that's what Jesus has us to do. When you realize that Jesus died for your sin, depart that which is binding you. You know, depart this this the thought process and he helps us it's not like he says do it on your own figure it out on your own but but that's what to repent means is to say okay i want to leave this sinful world or or my lustful state i want to stop doing things in my life that i can't speak of without honor you know i want to i want to change that's what repentance means and 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 that's the second step of what they did that um you just quoted jordan peterson i believe yeah, Is yeah, that the right that, no, that's about the, the honor. So, yeah, he asks a great question. Just to your point, he, he says, "You know, are you doing anything in your own life that you cannot speak of with honor?" And that's a great question for all of us to ask. You know, consider it. And, and I don't even have to make a list. I think for anyone to be asked that question, your mind can instantly take you to those things. And it's like, yeah, I can't speak about that very well. I don't want to tell my my wife or my my mm-hmm. child or my coworkers or, you know. When we examine our life in that way, it, it brings us to the life I think Jesus would want for us. He uh, he was talking about in one of his uh, one of his lectures. Uh, you know, he used to be a drinker. He drank quite a bit, and and he was talking about just becoming better people. And they said, "Well, how do you give up that?" He said, well, "It's not that." He was, "It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to go out and have a wild time." He goes, "It's not easy to." Mm. It's not. He says the most simple things that we probably all in our hearts wouldn't ever admit. He goes, it's not easy. That's a lot of fun. That's a lot of. That's a wild time. But um, it's when you get to the point that I needed clarity and I needed my mind to be there for something that I found that was better. And when I got to the point that that was then getting in the way of this something greater, I had to give it up because I uh-huh. I, I was so excited about pursuing this greater thing, and that was just getting in my way. Well. If we never find that greater thing, then we really don't have a we don't have much reason to repent. And that's the really the work of the church in this world is to show the world that there is a greater thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not just on paper. It's not just in, in our hands as we carry this book, you know, to church, our scriptures. It's it's real. Mm-hmm. Like there's something within me that really, really can relate and really can benefit from a much better uh a much better existence. And when I find that, and then I realize that these other things are just, they're just getting in the way of, of me being able to, to pursue that. Then those things start to, to fall away. But we, um, as the scriptures point out that you can't walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the gospel. And that's the rub is that you never really find that greater thing without the expense of sacrificing and giving up. I think the lectures of faith say a gospel that doesn't require the sacrifice of all things isn't a gospel worth Mm. having. And so Mm. it's kind of a catch-22 in some regards. Um, You have to give up a lot in order to find the greater thing. 
and you may not want to make that first step. You but know, there's just, things you can do along the way. I, I call ordering your life, uh, spending time with quality people to help you. Um, you have to set yourself up for success. You can't just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to pursue Christ with all my heart. You have to order your life, and that takes a lot of time sometimes, discipline. Yeah, you know, you use that word time and what you give your time to. I, I just read this recently that the the value of our money, just to consider the, the money that we might come across in life or accumulate its value is only equal to that which we spend it on. You know, if I saved my money and decided it was going to be all for a big screen TV, well, the value of my money is whatever that big screen TV was, and I can't get it back. I mean, as long as I have the TV, that's that's what it went for. But but what if I took that money, and I'm not saying buying a TV is, is wrong. I'm just using that for a starting point. You know, that just kind of makes my life a little bit more relaxed or gives me something to do when I don't want to do anything else. And, but, but what if I took that same money and, and, you know, put it into one of my, my children's education, you know, or bought a book or, 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 or took a vacation. Sometimes those, it's just like an investment. They can appreciate in value. You know, the, the TV is never going to be worth more than what I paid for it. And it was probably too much the day I bought it anyhow. But, you know, if you took that same money and put it into an education, what if that education allowed you to get a job that was now able to bring in more income? Well, you would have capitalized, to use that word, on that investment of your money many, many times over. Well, the reason I share that is because our time in the same parallel is worth only what we give it to. We've, we've, but here's where it's a little different. We're all given the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day, and we're going to spend some of that eating and sleeping and doing the normal things you do. But honestly, and, and this is an amazing thing when you consider it, the balance of our life ends up almost being dictated by how we spend our free time. And, and, and when it comes down to that in life, you know, it's the things you choose to think about. It's the things you choose to go do. It's the things, the people you choose to associate with in that time. And we've all got the same finite amount. And so our time ends up being this most precious of all commodities. And as an economics professor I had once shared this, I, I always remembered, he said, time is the most perishable of all goods. You know, you cannot it's it's like uh, if you're picking strawberries in a field, well, they're only going to last a, a few days afterwards. You can't count on them a year later. Uh, time, because they perish with time. Time is the most perishable of all goods, and we have to spend that wisely. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of um, sad that to really internalize that and come to believe that it just takes takes time. Yeah, it does. And it, it and that's what this life is for, I think, the growth yeah. process. 16-year-old has all the time in the world. Right. And even even the world even seems to go by slower when you're younger. But as you get older, man, I remember summer break seemed to last an eternity when I was, you know, in fourth or fifth grade. And now, man, a week of vacation off work has gone by in like a day. And mm. it's like, where did this last 10 days go? Right, right. Well, that's it. You know, this realization of time that we, we have to spend it wisely. That's that's why it says we're uh, in this probation of this life. But, um, you know, these Israelites, they it's interesting how they spent their time. They, they spent a lot of time wondering and complaining sometimes. They were in uh, the, the wilderness after they had crossed over the water. And, you know, there's symbols on every level. If the, if the lamb's blood 
was parallel to faith in the blood of Jesus, that's the starting point. If their departure from Pharaoh's grasp was like repentance, you know, Pharaoh was like a type for Satan. They they left the this grasp of Pharaoh just like we need to leave the grasp of Satan. And where did they head to? They head to the water, you know, and, wow. and the water yeah. parts. Okay. And so what do we do when we decide that, hey, we believe in this Jesus and we want to leave this life of sin? Well, we believe that in the order we should be baptized by water. Israel was baptized as they go through the water, right? And and the, the New Testament even uses that same phrase describing that they were baptized in the sea. So, so there's a parallel of this plan of salvation, and the Exodus story is the type and shadow for that on every level. And it, and it even gets better because so the, the people, we, we talk about on Jesus' death, 50 days later is this day of Pentecost. That's where the word penta for five comes in. Well, guess what? 50 days after the Passover, that was the lamb's blood applied, Moses is in the mountain, and he gets this law. He gets this law to guide Israel every day of their life. Every moment of their day was going to be guided by this law. Well, there was also thunder and lightning, which those words even translate back into some of the things that we use when we talk about baptism of the Holy Ghost and and, and the Spirit, baptism by fire. All those words have the same origin. Well, Israel, in a sense, received the law of God just like 50 days after Jesus' death, Jews and Gentiles received this baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit to guide them and direct them in all things. And so once we're in this path, for the Israelites, they faced 40 years in the wilderness. And, and 40, I mean, the, all these things have so many, so many levels. 40 is a special number in Scripture because that represents something called transformation. You know, when Jesus fasts in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, it wasn't by chance they used that number 40. When Israel is wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, it's not by chance it's 40, because 40 all represented a change. This 40 years in the wilderness represents the change that is supposed to happen in our life, okay? But once we made this covenant with Jesus, now we, we live, and we're living in that wilderness, we, we have challenges, we have um, trials, just like Israel did. And, and in the end, the point is, will we return to the promised land, right? That's where they were heading, and that promised land is where Jesus is going to welcome us into heaven or not. And there's more things to talk about. You, you probably know what I'm going to ask you here. Uh, and we, we may get a little bit off, but I, when you talk about... So we've talked about this pickle. We're all in a pickle. I, you know, I don't know... I don't know, Corey, if my thought processes are are like other people's. I mean, how could you know that? Um, I think all mankind is common. The Lord says there's there's sins that are common that that you know cycle through all of etern- you know all of time, and people sin in the same ways. There's nothing new. You know, mankind is kind of the same in a lot of ways. But in my mind, a lot of times I think about. You know, I'll be driving around. I just think, you know, I'll be having bad thoughts or something, and and I start to think, how can I ever get rid of these like how can i how can i become a better person mm-hmm. how can i really truly get to the point where you know jesus blood is going to save me and um, i don't believe that i that it's all up to jesus you know that he did everything and all i have to do is say i believe in him that's just too simplistic that's not that's not i don't even believe the scriptures actually 
that doesn't bear out in the scriptures. There's every you have to do everything. You have to give 100%. You have to give all of your heart. You have to give all of your might, your strength. You try to serve him with everything you are, and then his grace is sufficient. But we're called to do a lot, and so I always wonder, am I doing enough? You know, it's like uh, it's like football practice uh, back in the day. You know, when the coach turned his head, you'd start jogging a little slower, you know, when it was time to run your laps at the end of practice. And then when he's right there on you, you're boom, boom, going at it. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have Jesus standing over our shoulder physically all the time telling us what we need to do. And so I always, you know, I have these conversations with myself. Am I doing enough? But anyway, we're in. I don't think God's really trying to get any of us on a technicality in that, um, you know, his grace being sufficient. He's already made it clear that there's nothing we could have done on our own. He had to pay a price that we couldn't pay. But what? What happens is somehow we're found in judgment in the end, and and the the works of our life become again just the evidence. Now we don't all lead the same life. Some have many years, some have short years, some live in an incredible hardship. You might have parents who were not goodly-hearted parents, or or you know you might have grown up with abuse, or you, you may suffer with these things all your life, and you may suffer from you know, emotional uh, pain that others don't understand. Those things are real, and God knows those things. I, I think sometimes there are barely, you know, you, you, for all the trials people have, you know, we, we barely could add up a very long list of things we could do if those things could change. For some people who have endured entire hardships their whole life, what I guess I'm saying is that somehow God is the merciful judge through this, that he's looking at the sum of our attitudes, the sum of our decisions, the sum of our of the intent of our heart. And in the end, was the intent reflecting the desire to do good, to serve other people, to believe in him, to, to be willing to sacrifice? And if that evidence is there, that's what the scripture teaches, is that his, his blood is sufficient to, to wash away the sin. Yeah, uh, I probably may have given off the wrong. <clears throat> I don't think I clarified what I was actually feeling, but when I, I'm not adding up my my bads and my goods, you know, on a scale. But what I'm thinking is, there's a lot of days when I'm pretty self centered, and and my mind is focused on my own needs mm. and my own um, comforts. And um, there's always opportunity, probably, to reach out and. Uh, add to the comfort of another mm-hmm. at the expense of my comfort, mm-hmm. and that's where um, that's where the action really takes place. That's where um, I think that's where our standing with God becomes most evident, and that can become a problem at times for me because um, there's amount of selfishness in all of us. Well, I can tell you a little story about me lately, and I I share this in the that. I've stopped and helped stranded motorists many times, and I know you all have too, and you, you do those things out of the goodness of your heart because you feel like you should. Well, I was driving northbound one day, and I saw a car roll to a, a stop with a flat in the southbound lane, and I was in kind of slow traffic so I could see this play out. And in my heart, 
I, I thought, oh, Lord, someone's having a bad day. Because when does a flat tire ever happen at a good time? But I was in a hurry because I had a meeting at a customer's I had to get to. And in the moment, because I, I've really stopped just praying, God, please, please help that person. Because I've realized he's placed us in this world to be the helpers. You know, it, it, better than me saying, Lord, would you help them? How about, Lord, show me how I can help them? Because I see a need. You know, let me let me do what I have to do. But in that moment, I I just did the old... Lord, please help this person. I really don't have time to do this, to just stop and go on the other side and help this person. And it was probably an old lady too, you know, just to embellish the story. It was in fact. But so in the next minute, it wasn't a minute later, as I'm going northbound, suddenly the little low pressure light indicator on the car I'm driving comes on and I've got a flat tire. And this is a true story. Now suddenly I had time to take care of a flat tire. When it was my problem but when it was someone else's problem i didn't and herein lies the story of life you know will we see that will we be like the priest and whoever who went by the person who was beaten on the side of the road or or will we be like the samaritan and so in this moment now just to try to redeem myself if there's any possible way i i pulled over i was near a quick trip and I, i pulled in and i went right over i thought Maybe this thing just has been getting a little lower. Maybe I can I can save it by putting some air in and still get in my meeting. I saw this big old nail and I thought, uh. I'm not getting anywhere. So immediately what I had to do was I had a car at home. I thought, if I can just get back home a few miles back, I'll get that car. But on the way back, I thought, but there's a lady on the side of the road too who probably needs some help. And I saw her ahead. I, I pulled around. I, I did a U-turn. I went southbound. And she got off on an exit. And I thought, well, good for her. She got off. I'm going to go get my car, forget my meeting. I'm going to go get my other car. Because if I pull off and I have a flat tire and she's got a flat tire, we're, we're both uh-huh. in the ditch, right? So I went home to get my flat tire, my, my, my other car that didn't have a flat tire. So, and I, my intent was just to go drive and help her. And when I got to the place where she had pulled off, she was already gone. So I looked at that and I thought, Lord, you know, I, a lesson learned. I, I realize that we can't always help, and there's good reasons sometimes why we do the things we do. But I think the difference in life is when we decide that to love my neighbor as myself means that your problems are as significant as my problems. Your problems are not just significant to me when I don't have a problem and I'm having a good day and I have lots of free time on the schedule. Your problems are my problems even when I've got problems. So, Corey, what in your... so? We'll keep it real here. Um, what in your life has happened to get to the point where you had that whole conversation in your head and you had and you your spirit was receptive to those things because it's not it's not you, right? It's something that has happened within you greater than yourself, but yet you've done some things in your life to allow to allow that spirit to bring you to that point. It's it's gonna sound too simple, but it's really it's just realizing that we have a mighty savior and Mm -hmm. and that his love for us is beyond anything i can understand and when he gives a a piece of that to realize to realize that you know he stepped out of time and eternity so i could be with him in eternity again it's like lord what can i spend my time on that can somehow and i know that nothing i can do can equal the the good and the work that you did but is there something i can do and i guess none of it changes none of it changes until you realize no a savior really died on the cross who really knows my name and when that when that first step takes place 
it opens the door for everything else. It's like we said before, it starts affecting every decision you make. You, um, I know you've spent some time, a lot of time in prayer. You've, you've done some things and I don't want to put this back on works, but the Lord tells us he needs us to do certain things in order for us to come into a place where, um, where he can bless us and take us where we need to be. I, earlier I said, I think you know what you're, you know, I think you know what I'm going to say. And, and when you were talking about 40, I wondered if you would share your story because I love to hear this. And this means a lot to me because in the church, like I said, we have a kind of a culture of failure in, you know, in the restoration. We, we've been beat up pretty good and we've divided and we need to hear stories of triumph. And sometimes those stories are individuals and, and individual uh, instances and not as a body, especially right now. But I think when we do something and when, when something magnificent happens to share that with others is, uh, is to bring glory to God, not ourselves. So you've shared with me your story of fasting for a long period of time. And we may be off track now or not, but let's, would you share that? Yeah, we'll, um, we'll touch on it and maybe, uh, can save a few of the details for a future talk, but you know, um, I don't suppose my life is any different than anybody else's in that, you know, we wonder about things and we wonder what God means by certain scriptures. And I, I remember reading this scripture where one day the disciples came to Jesus and they said, you know, hey, you gave us this power to overcome and cast out evil spirits, for instance. But we were trying it one recently and it didn't work. And what, what gives? And, and mm-hmm. Jesus' response is, well, those don't go out except by prayer and fasting. And so I kind of wondered, you know, how did that conversation end? Did the people say, well, you mean we fasted like two days and we were supposed to fast, you know, two and a half days, or we prayed for 20 minutes and we were supposed to pray for 30, you know, would that have gotten us to that point? And so I I wondered about those things. And and there were other things in my life that I, I wondered about, you know, a few years back. And one time I, I came to this point where I just felt like, Lord, I had so many questions about things like this. Just some of it was just the frustration of life. And it's like, Lord, I, it, some things just don't make sense. How could I find answers to some of these perplexing things in my life? And as you and I are just sitting here today, I can't, I'm not one person who goes around and says, hey, I heard God's voice say this. But I just with a clarity, as, as a simple suggestion as one friend to another, not with a commanding voice, I remember distinctly this feeling in my mind that simply said, you could try fasting 40 days. And, and at first I dismissed that completely. I dismissed the idea that it was really even something to consider because those things are only done by people that you read about, like Moses and Jesus, and there's there's probably really no human way. And I've even I've even read some scholars, theologians, who discount the word forty and say, well, they didn't really mean forty days. It just meant a long time, you know. And and so this feeling kind of stayed with me as as these questions continued to grow and and needing to not needing to feel like I had answers, but wishing I had answers. And um, there came a time in my life when I thought maybe that voice was real, maybe that suggestion was real, and I, kind of with the permission of my family, I didn't not with a lot of fanfare. I just said, "Guys, would you be okay if I uh, went on an extended fast for a while?" And I, and I was still thinking, "Well, what does all this mean?" I didn't really know, and 
So with with them kind of aware and no one else, I, I set out on a fast of, of many weeks. And I I tell you, I I learned a lot along the way. And it's it's different because you don't, uh, it's not when, like when you take your car into the shop to get fixed and they say, ah, oh, well, we balanced the tires and we changed the brakes and we fixed your air conditioner and all that. You know, you, the, the list isn't even immediate during the fast. Sometimes you can find that there are changes in your life that it might be, I was a couple of years after this fast just processing things that I realized had changed in my life. And so in initially in a fast, if you try it for a day or two, it's the worst. It's it's when you feel like, you know, you can't think, you got a headache, everything just feels awful, and you're thinking, how can any good be happening from this? But you get past that, and, and after a while, you actually reach a state physically where you feel pretty good. But in this state, I remember one day early on fasting, I was working uh, up north, and every day had to leave early in the morning, and one day there wasn't any traffic on the road, and yet a car Three lanes of tra- three lanes of empty highway, and a car passes in front of me and just hits his brakes, and and with no reason, just kind of stops short in front of me. And this was early in the fast, and I and I realized in this moment, I I just kind of said under my breath, and I'll, I'll say what I thought. I just said, "You jerk," you know. That's just kind of how it came out, and so. But that's the natural man. That's the that's our selfish self. That's our sinful self, and that's what we know life to be. And it's interesting because um, it was about three weeks later, and I guess I was probably fasting for about four weeks at this point. Um, I had mental clarity like nothing I've ever known before at this point. Um, I felt good. I, I did not have any hunger at all. What you realize is you've got so much more time in the day. Um, and if you give it to normal things, you know, uh, you can do a good job of that. But I, I didn't have the luxury of just taking off into the wilderness. That would have been cool. I had to work through all this time. But about three weeks after that incident on the highway, same place, driving up north in the morning, 530 in the morning, all dark, three lanes of traffic. Someone does almost the same thing. They, they pass around me and for no reason they hit their brakes. And without even thinking, the first thing that came to mind was, pray for that person because they're driving unsafely and they, they, they might not make it to where they want to go. And I, I instantly just focused for many minutes as this car drove out of sight for that person, that stranger I didn't know. And I, I didn't even reflect on that in that moment. But what I realized was there was a change taking place in me that the, the pettiness, the anger, the, the, the selfish nature that I had was giving way to thoughts of care and concern for other people that I maybe hadn't had and towards the end of this fast, where I found myself in times past, you know, being kind of a logical person, always feeling if there was someone who needed to argue or contend about something, well, I, I wanted to win, I wanted to dominate. I, I just realized that I didn't have feelings like that at all. My, my feelings toward other people were just, how can I serve? What can I do? And, and I realized my life had been sort of like, if you lived your life underwater and all you knew was swimming around in the in a lake or if you've ever been in a swimming pool near the bottom and then you look up and there's this little ring of light that's kind of near the surface but you've never put your head above that water that pool i lived in was the pool of my own selfishness and my own pity and when i fasted what happened was for the first time i stuck my head up out of the water and realized there's this whole new beautiful world around us that i'd never seen before and and the 
the the obstruction in my vision had been my own selfishness in my own life. And for the first time, I, I felt like, you know, lustful thoughts uh, for for women and things like that. Those those things that we just sort of do, and we say it's because we're men. Well, whatever. They seemed foreign. It just those things weren't happening. And I and I and I realized that in in ways that were part of my own journey, I guess, I started learning answers to questions that I didn't even know to ask. I just in in understanding and scripture and life and relationships. My wife and I, we reflect on this. I mean, we we went a couple of years after that and we didn't even share any words, any cross words with each other. And you know, so we can blame all of them previously on me, but maybe she was changed too. But the point is there was a change to my spirit that I couldn't have found any other way. I couldn't have read about it in a book. I couldn't have just, you know, listened to someone's podcast and said, oh yeah, now that's me. I heard someone else talk about it. It was, it was that on many, many levels. And again, there's probably a lot of detail I could share at another time. But, but through fasting, and to bring it back home to the, the boys with Jesus, what Jesus was saying was, no, it's not that you have to, have, you have to fast 4.2 meals and you only fasted 3.7. The, the point was that through fasting and prayer, it changes your spirit. And when your spirit is changed, it opens up doors that you don't even know are closed through which God can communicate and use you in, in ways that you haven't discovered yet. And that was the discovery for me. I don't quite know what to say after hearing that again. Um, should give us hope. Well, and, and I'm not here to say that everyone needs to go fast 40 days. And to tell you the truth, I, I didn't make it 40 days. I, I made it about 35 into the 36. And, and the reason was I was weak. And honestly, um, I, I, won't, I won't go into the details. My, there is a point where your body starts feeling like you got to eat because some changes are happening that you haven't experienced before. I mean, fasting for a long time, I'll, I'll say it this way, it's, it's easier than you know. And it's harder than you think, and and there's a dichotomy there for a reason. Uh, but people can do it, and you can arrive at understanding it and knowledge. Things that happen not during the fast. People always, I've heard many people say, "Well, I fasted and nothing happened." It's like sometimes the benefits aren't even during the fast. I, I did learn that it's 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 it can be cumulative over time, where it's not like you got this thing back from the car repairman saying we fixed these five items, but it's like you're looking around your house and hey, I, I used to have such and such, and I haven't seen it for a long time. Well, that's what happened with some of my selfishness. It's like I was looking around, hey, I, I haven't been worrying about this anymore. I'm not worried about feeling like, you know, I need to feel loved, and why didn't my wife pay attention to me or do this? Those things were, were removed, and all of a sudden I realized, hey, I used to think this way, and I don't anymore. That was the bigger benefit mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And that, that sounds like the, the Jordan Peterson, you got to find something greater something better and and when you see that and that becomes of interest to you then everything else just that gets in the way needs to be removed right and, right and so my my couple words i'd share with anyone is that you don't have to fast 40 days but the point i learned is that fasting changes you and and prayer changes you and you as the scriptures say you receive the spirit through prayer and when you open up those doors that allow God's spirit to have greater 
access you know the, it's a highway back and forth between him and you you you've you've made it a very wide highway now with nothing barring the ability for him to come in when your own self is put to the side and that's what i found was the revelation through that and i think that's the, one of the mysteries that's been lost on our generation there's a whole host of other things physical things i could describe at some other time but we'll save that for other another time we um because of the fall of man and and because we're born into sin and there's a lot of scriptures that talk around that and, and give greater depth to that um you know every one of us is is in a jam so to speak and we have to overcome this this self-centeredness this selfishness and it is able to be done but it takes a little bit of uh it takes a lot your life being ordered like that, um, you, you're probably still receiving benefits from that time period today. Well, maybe, maybe, but I, I will tell you, I think fasting and prayer are a lot like using deodorant. You have to do it kind of regularly for it to have benefit. And to, to say someone fasted once, um, yeah, it can help. Or, But it's just like saying you prayed once. And many benefits can happen through that prayer, but it's it's more the exercise, you know, that that brings the long-term benefits. You know, it's not like, hey, I worked up and I ran a 5K once and that was it. You know, it's like, hey, if I kept running every day, to some extent, that would be even better than just running a 5K once or mm. whatever the distance. But, um, you know, so in this, to bring it back to Jesus, the, the people of Israel, their lives teach us so many things. You know, their way was hard when they were in the wilderness and they didn't realize it was their time of, of trial. This life that we have right now, and if you're listening as you're driving or just pondering in your home or as you're walking, um, you know, your life right now is a trial just like the Israelites. And one day in the book of Numbers, uh, there's a story where fiery flying serpents come down and they bite the people and the people are dying. And it's not that they just happened. It says the Lord sent the fiery flying serpents and the people died. And, and the people were scared by this. And it says, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and, and against thee. Pray that he'll take away these serpents from us. And Moses prays for the people. And then the Lord tells Moses something interesting. He says, okay, now take one of these serpents, put it up on a pole, wave it up high above the people. And it's going to come to pass that if the people will just look, just look at this pole, whoever was bitten, they'll be healed when they look on it and they'll live. They'll live. Now, isn't that crazy? I mean, how if life could only be that easy, right? If we could just look at something and be healed. But this is what Jesus has been telling us all along. You see, when Nicodemus comes to him at night, this famous story of John 3, 16 uh, surrounds this famous scripture about God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. But what are the scriptures that lead up to this? Well, what Jesus explains is this story of the fiery flying serpent. See, Nicodemus asks this question, hey, what, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, well, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, being the man he was, a smart man, a chief of the priest, says, well, can I enter again into my mother's womb? And that seems a little awkward even to ask the question. <laughs> And how can a man be born again when he's old? And so 
because he's seen Jesus do these miracles, he's taking Jesus at his word and he's saying, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do, but explain it. And he changes, Jesus changes it. And he says, no, you have to be born of the spirit. You have to be changed. And then Jesus asks him a question. And it's a little dig in verse 10. He says, so you're a master in Israel and you don't know these things. He said, what, what is this about? And Jesus then explains this. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So he's taking Nicodemus back to this story that every young Jewish boy and girl knew. Every boy knew it by his bar mitzvah in the day, I'm sure, that Moses lifts up this serpent in the wilderness and whoever looks on it is healed. Jesus says this, and this is the preface to the most famous scripture probably in the New Testament. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must I, the son of man, be lifted up that whosoever will believe on me or look to me will have eternal life. He said, I was the symbol. That, that, that serpent symbolized me. He said, whoever will look to me, you're going to have eternal life. And then he says, because God so loved the world that he gave me his only son, that whosoever would just look to him won't perish, but have everlasting life. And here's the beauty, because he adds this, and John 3.17 should be as famous as 3.16, because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn us. He sent his son so that we could be saved. And that is the story of the gospel. Alma 16 adds some further insight into that. Um, talking about the son of God, it says in verse 191, Behold, he was spoken of by Moses. Yea, and behold, a type was raised up in the wilderness that whosoever would look upon it might live. And many did look and live. But few understand the meaning of those things, and this is because of the hardness of their hearts. Yes. But there were many who were so hardened that they would not look, therefore they perished. Now the reason they would not look was because they did not believe that it would heal them. Isn't that something? Oh, my brethren, if you could be healed by merely casting about your eyes that you might be healed, would you not behold quickly? Or would you rather harden your hearts in unbelief? So it likens um, a hardness of heart basically means that you don't believe that Christ being lifted up on the cross can heal you. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's being healed from you know, so many things, from, from jealousy, from pride, from sexual sin, from from lust, from fear, uh, being healed from selfishness. And this is what this whole life comes down to. You know, you, you, you brought us to the point where we're all in the car with you driving, wondering, gosh, am I really good enough? I, I think about mm -hmm. a lot of things. And in this same story is carried in Helaman in chapter 3 in the RLDS version. And, and, it, and, the, and the writer states, didn't the record get born to us that the Son of God should come, just like the brazen serpent in the wilderness, even so shall he be lifted up. As many as should look upon that serpent should live, and as many as will look to the Son of God with faith, having a contrite spirit, might live even unto that life which is eternal. Isn't that a beautiful promise? He's saying, hey, if you will look to Jesus... The, the promise is there. The mm -hmm. promise is there. And if you're trying, if you're trying to overcome, you have not fallen out of the favor of God. And 
I want to be clear when 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 I read a scripture like this, you could be uh, tempted to say, "Well, I'll look to the Lord and live," and that that could be a real simple thing, and it is simple in one way. But I think what plays out in the scripture, not just what I think, what what I believe is there for anyone who who reads the scripture and comprehensively looks at all of the scriptures. When we're talking about looking to Jesus. That is talking about um, so many things in our life. Sure. It's not one thing, but it, it is a whole lifestyle yes. centered around uh, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And we've, we've talked about this, who you spend your time with, um, how you are stewardship over your friendships, everything. Yes. That's what it means to look to Jesus. But whosoever will do that, whosoever will give it their all and try to arrange their life around this principle, you believe it, it will save you. And those that those that don't think it will save them will not bother trying to organize their life around this principle of Jesus Christ being the everything. And right. so right. and so you fail. And and it's the adversary's job to get us to not believe. Sure. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to work upon us to get us to believe. And you know, this whole thing with the story of the Israelites comes back to this the people that believed were free from the death. They did not suffer the death when they applied the door, the blood on the doorpost. Just like if we come to the point where we say, I believe in Jesus, we have the promise of being freed from the spiritual death. That was the parallel to, to what they saw in their day. If we then do everything else, follow through and endure to the end. I think this is a good jumping off point. Um, we brought it back to the Lord and we're going to find out. Uh, do you have anything else you want no, to No, no, we're good. I think we're going to find out, um, or hopefully we'll have the privilege of showing that I believe the, the Book of Mormon has so much scripture based on the blood of Christ yeah. and yeah. his sacrifice and his mercy through the atonement. It's a very evangelical book. Um, more, more so than the Baptist hymnal, probably. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just uh, focus on it more yeah. and, and just what we've been given. So... Uh, next time we'll continue with this uh, journey back to God after the fallen man, the prophecies of Jesus and what he can do in our in our heart to change us. And so that we see God again, it's not going to be awkward. We're not going to want to hide. We're not going to want to um, realize that we're naked and run off, that we're going to feel completely comfortable being in the presence of holiness. <laughs>